is brought to you by the Arc from Verve. If you want to improve your posture, the Arc has you covered. Developed by a physical therapist, designed by an engineer, made in the USA, the Arc is going to improve your posture and relieve that neck and back pain once and for all. What is up, guys? Welcome to the brand new Strength Doc podcast hosted by UpDoc Media with me, Dr. John Russin. I want to get one thing clear. This is not going to be your average fitness podcast, and I'm sure as hell not your run-of-the-mill strength coach. Hey, what's going on, guys? Dr. John Russin back with a brand new episode of the Strength Doc Podcast hosted by UpDoc Media. Today's podcast is brought to you by drjohnrussin.com's FHT, Functional Hypertrophy Training Program. Guys, head over to www.drjohnrussin.com forward slash FHT dash program and check it out. I am excited to bring on my next guest who is Ryan DeBell of The Movement Fix. I should say Dr. Ryan DeBell. What's going on, man? I'm excited to get you going here. Yeah, I'm excited too. Thanks for having me on. Man, it's been one of these things that we've been talking for like close to a year now, you know, just shooting the shit over like Facebook Messenger, <laughs> texting, and finally, you know, we get on each other's shows here because we're going to be doing a dual podcast here today. I'm going to be having you on my show, and then I'm going to be over on the Movement Fix podcast right after. So it's going to be a lot of one-on-one time here. We might be sick of each other by the end of this. Well, I hope not. I hope not. I have a lot of coffee, too, so I'm getting all pumped up over here. <laughs> yeah, it's, what is it, 8 a.m. over there? 8.05. 8.05. I woke yeah. up at 6, though, so I'm, I'm good to go. You just had to throw that in there, you know, like you're getting shit done early in the morning, I know. Well, you got to do it. I mean, some days I get up, some days I'll sleep in, but, you know, you wake up and it, you, you either make the decision of, am I ready to wake up or do I need to sleep more, you know? And sometimes <laughs> you got to just get up. I got up at 4 the other day, just woke up. That's insanity. I mean, I have an excuse if I wake up with four with like my eight month old cam, but uh-huh. for you, man, waking up at four, you must have been coming off the road or something with, with that kind of wake up schedule. No, I just, I, I don't know what it was. I think, um, I was starting to eat healthier. So I slept more deeply <laughs> and I just woke up, I just woke up wide awake at four and I laid there for half an hour and I said, screw it. I'm just going to get up and start doing stuff. You know, I think we should talk about uh, nutrition on this podcast today. You know, fuck sure, the movement let's stuff. Let's just talk about uh, how how deeply Ryan can sleep because he's you know amping up his nutrition. <laughs> well, it's important. So, well, I'm doing it in combination with the FHT actually. Oh, what what's yeah. that? FHT. FHT, the functional hypertrophy training program. Oh, I'm I'm excited because I know you're just beat to shit right now. You're oh, pretty I'm sore. So it's the first sore. couple days in that program. I'm getting these funny text messages every day, and I'm like, all right, just make it through the first couple weeks. Oh. And you'll, oh, yeah. you'll acclimate to the volume, to the intensities and get through. But it's funny because I just had a patient drive in from like seven hours away. She was from Minnesota yesterday to see me in office and she's currently on FHT as well. And this was her second week on it and she's a CrossFitter. And it's really funny. I didn't necessarily think that people were going to be uh, in the CrossFit community, like kind of going in after the open on the FHT program. But over the last like three weeks, I think we're up to like 40 or 50 CrossFit athletes that are wow. looking for hypertrophy, which well, is nuts. I never me. thought that. It actually doesn't surprise me at all. You know, now that the Open is over, um, I think people are looking to, to at least I am, and I, and I know other people. I don't want to speak for everybody, but after doing those types of events, I think people want a program that's more focused on, 
you know, hypertrophy training, a lot of CrossFit's more metabolic training. We yeah. don't do a ton of hypertrophy training and, you know, it's good to, it's good to mix it up. So, and I think people get a little bit uh, jaded after the open too. Like, <laughs> they, they, they have to step away for a couple weeks, well, maybe 12 weeks. Now you did all the events in the open? I did all of them except the last one because <laughs> I did the, so the, the last one was the same as it was two years ago. And yeah. I remember being wrecked and, um, <laughs> Not to say that you shouldn't go get wrecked, but I wanted to start. I actually, I just wanted to start doing the, like getting back to training. One of the things during the open is you get so stuck on these events that you kind of miss out on training. And uh, I, I was super excited to start the uh, the FHT. So I was just like, you know what? I don't want to be out for a week being so sore <laughs> from this last event yeah. of these thrusters and burpees. I, I think I had like, honestly, if I'm being honest, I think I had mild rhabdo in my triceps <laughs> from from like they were sore to the touch for like 10 days oh two years ago God. yeah so i just decided i want to start the program so i just started doing the fht a couple um like on the saturday of the final uh week of the open but uh so but i did all the other ones and um i was ready to get back to training you know now, are you are you training with your wife well, she's actually training right below me in the garage right now. <laughs> awesome, awesome. But, uh, so are you guys workout partners though? Well, we both – it's kind of interesting. If we're training in the garage because our garage is – I mean that's what's in all my videos is we, we film those in the garage. And, gotcha. Um, if we're both in there, it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> like there's not, a, there's not quite enough space and not quite enough equipment. But uh, we typically work out together on uh, Thursdays and Saturdays at – like at the CrossFit gym, we'll be in the same class, but I wouldn't, I, I don't know that I'd call us like workout partners. Gotcha. I actually, when she and I met in uh, 2007, that was right when I started first doing CrossFit style training. And, uh, she was, she never did any sort of weight training. And, um, I remember we were doing ter terrible snatches back in 2007. <laughs> it was terrible. And we were trying to get, teach her how to deadlift. And she couldn't budge 135 pounds off the ground, like a millimeter. And now she can snatch like 160. So it's been it's been very cool to see that transformation. But now she kicks my ass, actually. Yeah, that's kind of what I was getting at. I was like, <laughs> so during the open, <laughs> who actually had oh, the better she, scores? Oh, no, yeah, hands down, she destroyed me. I mean, absolutely demolished me. It's Not amazing because like I, I train with my wife, Lindsay, as well. And the amount of power and recoverability that some of these women have is just unbelievable, especially when they're really well trained, like a CrossFitter, power lifter, or like a hybrid athlete like that. Like oh, if yeah. you are training with a woman, it's like your pace, your tempo of the workouts is just through the roof because, you know, it's hard to even hold your own with some of this stuff. And that's where like the basis of FHT was built off of because about two and a half years ago, Lindsay and I you know, wanted a new 12 week program to focus on hypertrophy, but we love barbell training. So I was like, well, shit, we're going to do this thing. And we did it a couple different times to perfect the one that you guys have now, but we beta tested it with about 60 different people, you know, high level coaches down to kind of like the novice lifter that could just get all their foundational movement patterns with the ball, the barbell down. But mm -hmm. there's a, with any type of program, you know, whether it's CrossFit, bodybuilding, powerlifting, 
like I feel like there has to be some sort of like testing involved to figure out like what can work for the masses because you and I are in the business of treating individuals for their individual dysfunction and movement capacity but right. you know it's hard because when you want to get you know your best work out to the masses there and have hundreds if not thousands of people training on one single program you really have to do your homework you know just because it works for one person doesn't mean it works for everybody right yeah i, I mean when i look at the program too i was thinking about that like how did you i mean to to make something so good but so general i i'm sure it was very challenging <laughs> yeah it was uh yeah it was pretty challenging but you know, well, I'm, enjoy I'm enjoying it thus far, though, so I can definitely say that. I uh, I feel good. <laughs> but That's relatively speaking, right? Well, it's just a different type of stress on the system than doing CrossFit workouts. That's true. And uh, it's almost the missing link in, in CrossFit, I think, because you see some of these guys and the women, especially the women, and they are fucking jacked. I mean, oh, yeah. they have very low body fat percentages, but the amount of muscle mass and, you know, fast twitch motor units on their body is just hugely impressive to the mm -hmm. point where I remember like two or three years ago, it was at like its apex. And these dudes, I can't remember the event, but I think they were running in out of the water. And it literally looked like Schwarzenegger was on like Santa Monica Beach <laughs> coming out of the water. And I was like, holy shit, Like this guy just ran like a half uh, half mile on top of swimming. And then, you know, on top of all this other stuff for the last two days. And he's just a beast. But how can you combine hypertrophy, high performance, metabolic stresses to create a program. It, it's it's very intriguing. And I think that's the most intriguing thing about CrossFit that there's just so much diversity to the point where if you are in an intelligently designed program, like literally the sky's the limit on what you can do physically. I think they've proved that too. I mean, I, I think there's one challenge they're trying to do right now. I don't know that anybody has completed it, but it's, uh, and maybe I'm misquoting this, but I think it's run uh, a sub five minute mile and then I think within five or 10 minutes of finishing that squat 500 pounds. <laughs> Some um, people are probably pretty close to that. And whoever thought that would be possible. Yeah. That it, kind of goes against all like traditional exercise. Like as you get better endurance, like your overall strength will decrease. Uh, I think they've maybe been challenging that quite a bit. I don't, yeah. but I don't know that anybody's done it. Well, two opposite ends of the spectrum there, you know, that's the, you know, the holy grail of training for, you know, hybrid work would be an endurance event than a pure power event. But, you know, for the average person, that's just not going to be sustainable, even if you could do it once. But I, I think the key with, um, you know, intelligent programming is something that you gain a skill set, you gain a knowledge base, and you educate yourself on the methods that you are utilizing in program. So, shit, when the 12 weeks is done, when the six months of training is done, you can go use what you felt best with and create your own programs or just have a better capacity to move forward in the longevity of your physical training career. Well, and I think, you know, one of the one of the issues that I see a lot is you know, you look at the high level CrossFit performers and they're very heavily muscled, right? Kind of as you yeah. said. A lot of people that are just starting it, they don't have a lot of uh, muscle mass. And some of the movements in the workouts like they require that to do it well. Oh, there's and, no doubt. And yeah, I mean, like if you think about kipping pull-ups, if you think about barbell snatching, if you think about a lot of these things, 
it would do people a lot of good if they did some hypertrophy training early on so they develop more muscle mass because a lot of the workouts are primarily you know metabolic conditioning but they're not aimed at actually growing muscle mass and i think a lot of people would do themselves a huge benefit by incorporating some of that especially in the early stages for the under the untrained person I, I if you took so. some yeah. yeah go ahead like if, if you took you or someone who say well, I'm, I'm sure you do. I shouldn't say that. If, if you took someone who had never done CrossFit style training, but they only did say bodybuilding hypertrophy training, and then put them into a program, you know, they're gonna maybe they'll maybe they'll be pretty stiff. But for them to you know to think about them getting a passive connective tissue injury, I just don't think it's gonna happen because they have so much muscle mass to support their joints versus someone who's very loose and weak and doesn't have a lot of muscle and low tone. I think that's gonna be an issue sometimes. Yeah, I think that's a misconception, too, of like uh, very high-end bodybuilding slash hypertrophy style programming is that you are going to lose your mobility. You are going to lose your multi-joint uh, segmental stability. Um, if you are doing the right things and you're coming in as a functional mover already, it's very easy with the right kind of programming to maintain all your movement capacity. But it's a double-edged sword because if you're a dysfunctional mover as you know 90% of the population is to some extent then you really put yourself behind the eight ball if you're adding volume intensity and top end loads on top of movement dysfunction but you know that's the golden rule right like don't right. load a dysfunctional movement pattern right right and yeah i should uh, i think i stated that incorrectly if someone did just bodybuilding and they didn't do any sort of you know mobility maintenance work right which i think it happens a lot is kind of what i meant yeah, for sure. I, if, if someone's if they're kind of doing it on their own and they don't you know, have guidance, I think that can happen. I mean, when it comes to CrossFit, though, you know, you see these guys that are so jacked, these girls that are so jacked. And I may be jaded on my opinion on this just because, you know, I obviously write for T Nation quite a bit. But uh -huh. there, our lead writer, who is Christian Thibodeau. He had these methods 20 years ago that he was using with all his high-performance athletes. It was a hybrid between Olympic and powerlifting with metabolic stress placed on top of it. So it sounds very similar, doesn't it, to something that we know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you know, this guy, you know, it sounds like I'm really on the Thibodeau train here, which I kind of am. But I was impressed two years ago that he literally never trained a CrossFit athlete in his life before and not using any quote-unquote CrossFit style programming, he ended up putting three individuals into the CrossFit games out of his Montreal region. Like, how impressive is that from a coaching standpoint that your methods that you've been using for decades can stand up in the top sport and fitness and have people almost stand in the top 10? I think he had one woman in the top 10 and then his single guy was in uh, 11th place. But Oh I wow! Mean, that is I had, I had, unbelievably I had, amazing. I had never heard. I had never heard that before. I mean, I guess, you know, whatever you want to call it is what you want to call it. But the principles aren't going to change that much. Exactly, and that's and, what uh, people get caught up on: is you're not going to fake the principles. You can't go against exercise science anatomical principles. But if you can work around those principles and to the left and to the right of them, you can add some novelty to training, and you can get something that is going to create high performance that's sustainable. And I think one of the things that CrossFit did really well um, and, and why they've gained so much popularity, and, and you'll hear this probably with a lot of people that you talk to, is number one, their community aspect um, is tremendous. Yeah. The second is, you know, they started they started doing this as a competition. I don't think anybody was doing it as a 
competition the way that they do it. And, and I think that in and of itself drives a lot of the popularity because people feel involved and they feel part of something. Right. Um, and then they did like these named workouts and benchmark workouts. So you could, uh, and it was sort of compared across a large, uh, worldwide community. So I think they brought some things to the table that weren't there before, but to say people never did circuit training and, and never did metabolic conditioning with, with weights and, and things like that. I think, you know, <laughs> yeah, people were knows. doing it, but they just systemized well, every, it. Yeah, they systemized it. They branded it well. They made it into a community. They added in a lot of great things. And, uh, and I don't think they would claim that they made up circuit training or, you know, but perhaps the way that they do it constantly varied and in, in, in some of those things, perhaps, um, they've led the way on that a little bit where they bring in totally different things, but I could be wrong on that. I don't know the history of the other things as well. No, I agree. But, um, what you touched upon was that community thing and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but you've really done well to kind of push your methods, your expertise in movement science into the CrossFit communities, because that's where you first got your start with uh, the movement fix workshops, right? Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of the training. So my own training background, I used to primarily just do like standard like bodybuilding type workouts, you know, um, just where I think I even have the Arnold Schwarzenegger encyclopedia about <laughs> it on my shelf over here um and right then next to movement <laughs> yeah right um and then in 2007 is when i start I, I just got bored with it to be honest and then i asked my friend who's a trainer like i said what can i do that's like crazy you know and then he's like oh you gotta check out this site crossfit.com and and then i think the movie 300 came out and then uh, jim jones was sort of and anyway so it was kind of this time of, of doing that and uh so i started doing that before i was even in uh chiropractic school or anything like that and uh, so i did that sort of first and then i was very much ingrained in that community like you said and then i started doing what i'm doing and i um you know it's been good i i, I mean I, I don't think i would be able to go around and teach what i'm teaching at, if it weren't for the infrastructure of CrossFit. So I'm, you know, f grateful for that because it's been a huge opportunity. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm very much involved with it. There's something in to be said about, uh, being, you know, a part of the community that you're trying to taper your services to, whether you're a personal trainer, a physical therapist, chiropractor, whatever, because if you can speak the same language and you're literally like, I hate to say like in the trenches with the other people that you're going to have as clientele, like it makes a big difference. Did you see that, you know, you just had an expertise on top of, you know, some other, uh, rehab specialists when you started going into these these uh, workshops and teaching for the first time that other people really weren't bringing to the table yet? Well, I think so. And I, and I think I combined worlds. I, I really, I think I combined worlds is what I really did. I don't, I haven't, you know, invented new techniques. I haven't done any of that, but I think I've, I've blended things in a way that like if I take some of the principles from outside of the CrossFit world and I bring them in in sort of a friendly way and I speak the language, you know, as someone who's been doing it for nine years, I can sort of blend that. Do you know what I mean? Versus yeah, if yeah. you come from the outside in. Like I was at this one workshop and someone was assisting me and they said they said the wad of the day. And as soon as they said that, I was like, that's like someone who doesn't speak English <laughs> making a grammatical error where you go, no one who speaks English would ever say that. Right. And I think I think a lot of it too is um, you know, I'll have been doing it a lot longer than a lot of the coaches and gym owners that I that I work with. And so I think that, you know, my intentions are good with it versus 
the outside in criticism. You know what I mean? That, that's funny that you say like the wad of the day, right? Because like back in like 2012 is when I first started working with CrossFit athletes. And I was uh, that guy. Like I had never done the sport before. <laughs> right. But, you know, I was walking in and obviously uh, I love barbell sport. You know, that's my sure, background. Absolutely. Right. And yeah. I had to like start from square one and really earn uh, the box owner's respect, the athlete's respect, and actually jump in there with them. You know, we've uh, we spent a lot of time in the last couple of years in the sport of CrossFit. Uh, you know, Lindsay and I, we do a little bit more cross training now that's not specific to CrossFit, uh-huh. but um, just having that experience and speaking the language to a common community, that's so big because it's almost like bridging the gap between the two knowledges because, you know, they're excited to train hard, train heavy and go nuts, but you're trying to bring the science of prevention and rehabilitation back into it. But you have to be able to make that connection somehow. Well, and I think you have to understand the mentality too of, um, for a lot of people, it's, you can't just tell them like, oh, don't go do these things or don't, you know, that might not be the good idea because they're emotionally invested in the community and they can't just like not do it because it's a part of who they are at that point. That's been one of the challenges that we've had is that it's so hard to modify on the fly for some of uh, the newer novice coaches in the CrossFit communities in the wads, things like that. Like it takes a special coach to be able to look at one movement, one poor rep and know exactly which regression to move towards to keep somebody in the loop, to keep them in the community, to keep their heart rate up. Like it's very hard. And I think it takes a lot of background work and a lot of assessment and evaluation on the side of the coaches and some of the practitioners working in some of these boxes just to set themselves up for success when they get uh, hit with that challenge when they see those poor reps happening oh you're ap- I mean you're absolutely right and it does it, like you said it, it takes a lot of background knowledge to understand why you would change a certain exercise to another exercise and being able to identify when it's a you know good thing or not good thing I mean that's kind of what inspired me to do what I'm doing because I wanted to help out in that regard Um, but yeah, I mean, it it takes, I mean, isn't, isn't life really just trying to advance your knowledge and learning and coaching. So, um, I think that, uh, no, you're totally right. And understanding that training is more than just completing the workout as prescribed. There's certain reasons you want to do it. Like you, like you mentioned to keep your heart rate elevated in a safe way, you know, (laughs) that's, that's an important aspect. And I, and that's a, it's a simple way to think about it, but I don't know that people think about it that way. Like do, do a different movement that keeps your heart rate elevated but doesn't compromise their positioning and, and their, you know, their, uh, their anatomy. I mean, the first time I was challenged with that, like, uh, before I went to PT school, I was a strength coach at the high school and collegiate sector. And I remember like one of my first weeks on the job, I was in a weight room, varsity weight room. And I think we had like 28 athletes in there, <laughs> you know, like uh, big, uh-huh. big school football style weight room. And there's like two strength coaches, right? And I just remember everyone like this is this is back in the day. So everyone's doing the same program. There's no real prehab rehab going on. It's just going ham hitting the weights. And I remember just seeing simultaneously like five poor squat patterns at once. And I was like, uh, what do I do? I can only go and coach one person, you know, and you just have to realize that not everything's perfect. But that was on me as a coach because. Uh, you know, jumping into this situation, it was like midway through like an off season program and mm-hmm. we didn't do our homework on it. We didn't figure out who was a dysfunctional mover, who needs a regression off the traditional barbell squat. And it, it just, 
it made me nervous. I was like, oh shit, you know, what's going to happen here? Because we all know if you're, you know, a strength coach, somebody gets hurt in your weight room, that's like the cardinal sin. And even, you know, we get hit if uh, somebody gets hurt on the field, you know, with a non-contact injury, that's our fault as well. So it was Mm. something that I'll always remember because at that point I knew that we needed to be doing something just so you know, I was never personally at risk. The athletes weren't at risk for injury. And then that team wasn't at risk for, you know, losing games because of our short sightedness. Right. I mean, I think the last thing that anybody wants to do is hurt somebody and, uh, you got to do your homework, right? I mean, you have to watch people move under, uh, you know, a a lens of not just like push, 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 but you know, what's the quality, especially when you're dealing with, you know, it's sort of a, an interesting thing of uh, doing weight training and, and conditioning training to prepare for a sport versus the sport being weight training and conditioning. Right. <laughs> and yeah. I, and I think that's the, you know, that's that's the challenge because you can, perhaps you can be more conservative when it's actually not your sport because you can, you don't have to necessarily push to that extreme because you're not competing at it. Do you know what I mean? Right, right. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> it's, it's always a challenge, it's, it's, you know, barbell sports, it's a totally different beast because, you know, most people grow up with traditional field-based or court-based sports. And then when the training becomes the sport, it's like, whoa, <laughs> oh my right. God. it's just so, it's just so different. What, what did you play? I was a D1 baseball player and oh, then in high that. school, I uh, played the big three baseball, football and basketball. But, um, yeah, ended up doing baseball at a higher level. But like every physio, right, you know, we all get hurt and then we end up down either the strength coach route or the DPT route. And, you know, I'm very I'm, I'm just the same as everyone else on that side of things. <laughs> yeah, I'll get hurt at some point. Yeah. Isn't that, that right, though? Like every PT you talk to, like, oh, how'd you get into the field? Well, I was an athlete <laughs> and then I got hurt and I went to physio. And it was great and it helped me and I got back to sport. Like my story is not, uh, not as fluffy as that because I never went to physical therapy a day in my life before I walked through the doors of my first year at DPT school. Like I never, <laughs> never was a consumer of physical therapy. I was always yeah. in the weight room though. And I was always working with very, very advanced and technical coaches from like age 14 on. And uh, I think that made a difference because those coaches were ahead of their time. They were, they were doing some advanced assessment. They were really teaching movement. They were the kind of guys that had a broomstick in your hand for six months before you got a barbell. So, <laughs> you know, your early, your early experiences in any field, it really ingrains uh, some thought processes and it really drives what you do to like the current day. So there's things that I do right now that I learned when I was 14 and it's amazing, but you touched upon it before that everyone's going to be an individual and they're going to be the sum of all of their life and professional experiences. And that's why everyone's not going to go down the same career path. You know, not everyone's going to be going and doing the movement fix workshops across the world. It's just not happening. But, you know, you used your expertise and your knowledge to create something truly unique. And I think, um, you know, people have to do more of that, especially when it comes into like being the hybrid rehab specialist, strength coach, physical therapist, chiropractor. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I was reading something interesting, uh, recently that, uh, you know, oh gosh, I wish I remember who, who said this so I could give them credit, but it was something like when, when people say approach you or approach me to learn something, 
it's more about learning your opinion on a topic versus this whole new topic. Yeah. <laughs> That's you, very do you know good. what I mean? Yeah. Because so much stuff has already been hashed out. So much research has been, I mean, how long have people been lifting weights and training? But the, I think the value and where you really learn is expert opinion. Well, I think you have to have a foundational base of knowledge to go off of. That's the reason why people Absolutely. go into, you know, four-year degrees in exercise science. They have uh, DPTs or DCs behind their name because have have they it. have the foundational knowledge to judge something new, whether it be ethical, or efficient, effective, or does it not fit the criteria that I know to be true in the principles of what I know through my education. But anytime, uh, you know, a new article comes out, a new research uh, study comes out, yes, we're all going to go and read that if you're an evidence-based practitioner. Uh -huh. But just because evidence comes out in one single study or one article, it doesn't mean that you have to adopt that. You should have a world of knowledge behind what you know and what you do already, and then you should truly be looking at it with a very keen eye to figure out, does this match up with what I'm currently doing? Is what I'm currently doing faulty in some way? Or do I just keep on going the way that I'm going? And it's not always that you have to adopt something right away. And I think uh, there's so much information out there now that people don't know where to go because they're trying to adopt too much. Right. And, and they having somebody organize things for them, I think is very valuable. Big time. Uh, there's nothing new in our industry. I mean, there's going to be a handful of things here and there over the next decade that may or may not revolutionize rehabilitation. But the way that people systemize it for the general use of practitioners or even for coaches out there, that's, that's the where the beauty is going to be. And I, that's what you're doing with your movement fix workshops though, right? You're, you're just exactly systemizing right. it. Well, I didn't, yeah, I mean, I didn't make up the stuff that I'm doing and I wouldn't have been able to do it without all the people who came before us in the, you know, in this field of movement and exercise and all that stuff. And I don't try to take credit for it. What I, what I take credit for is the way I organized it to try to make it extremely usable for people. And I'm sure you do the same thing. Yeah. It's all about usability. What's the point of doing something if it's not usable? Well, if you can't take action right away on something that you do think has value to your practice or your clients or patients, then like, what's the point of fucking reading what you just read? <laughs> <laughs> like, if you can't take right. action on it, then what's the point? Right. Because everything is based on action. You could want something, but if you don't go and what is it? The uh, What's the saying? Oh, gosh. Yeah, I'm not even going to try to go there. It'll take me 10 minutes <laughs> to think of it. <laughs> if, if you actually want change, you can't just think about it. You have to do something. And even the even a, what is it, a, a, a an okay plan done today is better than a perfect plan done never. Yeah. You know, an imperfect plan done today. With, with the systems, though, I remember reading an article years ago now from you, and it was just surely brilliant. It was um, your, why do people need to squat differently? And a <laughs> yes. picture was worth 10 million words in that article. Yes. I mean, obviously people have been talking about this for a long time, but you didn't have to say very much in that article. If I remember correctly, it was only a couple hundred words. It was not it was, big. 
I wrote that article in five minutes. Yeah. But you had these pictures that <laughs> the just... The pictures were everything. Oh, the pictures were amazing. And I think that well, was like article of the week uh, many times, and it went crazy on your site. It got picked up by another site, right? Yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was, It was. was funny because, like you said, no, I, mean, it, I learned it in school. <laughs> yeah. And I always there was always this illustration where it would, it would look from the femur from the top down, and it, and it would show like the retro or anti version. And I always looked at that picture like, what the hell am I looking at? Right. And then finally one day I was like, oh, I, I understand, I understand, I understand. But uh, I, I was browsing the internet and I went to, uh, what's his name? Paul Grilly. He's a uh, yoga, world-renowned yoga instructor, I believe. And he had these bone pictures on his site and I found these different, that's where I found the pictures. Right. But I, no one took those pictures and put it into the context of squatting. Right. To, to illustrate a point that has been made many, many, many times over. And that's where you take information and put it in a way that people really get. And that's a valuable thing. And uh, yeah, so <laughs> did I make up retroversion? No, it's been, in, you know, it's been, in, <laughs> yeah. you can go, you know, you can go in surgical article, you know, read some surgical research about, uh, you know, hip replacement surgeries and all these things. And they talk about it like it's common knowledge. Like, of course, you know, if you have retroversion, you'll have uh, bony impingement with internal rotation, you know, and and it's like this mystery elsewhere. But they talk about it like it's just so matter of fact. Well, everything is matter of fact to somebody. But that brings up the <laughs> that, point that's in exactly right. that like, we, we do it all the time. I know sometimes I write stuff and I'm like, well, duh, everyone knows this. Like, how am I even writing an article about this topic? And then we'll be like, oh, fuck it. Let's just publish it. Let's put it out there. And it's your most popular one. It is. It's the most popular, but it makes such a huge dent because um, people don't necessarily uh, systemize it in the mind like you do. And when you put it out and you put your expertise and your touches upon something that may be old school that you think everyone knows about, it's new because you say it and it's your take on this uh, principle that we're reviewing. And I think uh, that that squat article was just a, a thing of beauty because of that. And, you know, since then, like, I thought that was as conclusive as we could possibly get into saying this is why people need to squat differently from a foot position, from a depth position, a knee angulation, dorsiflexion angles, torso angles, like bar position, right. uh, grip width. Like, yes, we need to be squatting differently, but... Since then, you know, some of the biggest publishers in the fitness and wellness industries, they continue to put out articles that say, you know, no, everyone should squat like this. And, you know, this absolutist uh, <laughs> mentality. And it's like, no, like Ryan wrote this like two years ago. Like everyone needs to squat differently. Like, why are we still arguing this? Yeah. And I, well, I think the I think the principles, certain principles of squatting remain the same. It'll just look different. Right. From a larger external view. And that, that, that's where I think some, sometimes things get misinterpreted. Like, like pr with principles, people should be squatting very, very similarly. I, but I agree. Because the bones are, you know, the bones can be twisted. That's going to make, just because the feet are pointing out doesn't mean the hip isn't in the right position. And I think that's where people get stuck is feet forward doesn't mean hips are in the, the best squatting position. You know, just to go a step further, uh, you focus on the femur, uh, the head of the femur, and then obviously the neck, the angulation of that. But, you know, 
the socket too from yeah from the acetabular as well but if you look at it you could go through any joint and you could pick any movement and everyone's going to be a little bit different that's exactly right so that makes us as practitioners and coaches we're just trying to lead people into the right general direction as uh you know in the form of setup and mechanics but people really need to take mastery upon themselves to feel internally what they're feeling because people clients, athletes, they can feel more than any world-class coach could ever see or palpate through. Mm. Yeah. I think, you know, as, as I've been talking more and more about the squatting thing and, and there's like, there's quite a bit of variation in the shoulder too and in the humerus oh, yeah. and swimmers and, and they get anyway. So it, it's not just in the, in the hips, by the way, that, that makes standardized screening somewhat challenging with anatomical variants and yes. being able to decipher, is it a mobility limitation or is that kind of how you're shaped? Right. And uh, so that kind of, you know, muddies the water a bit, in my opinion. But um, to what I was saying, as I've talked more and more about the the squatting stuff, uh, someone had told me they took a a high level Olympic weightlifting course. um, And the instructor said, your best squat stance is the one that's most comfortable. Oh, that's a good one. And and that's and, and that was the end of sort of the end of it. Find the one that's the most comfortable where you feel like the best. That's how you find it. That makes sense. And isn't, isn't it when you – now, of course, you'd want to make sure like crazy – you know, just because it's comfortable for someone doesn't mean it's the best. But isn't it the higher the level of coach, the simpler they make things? And it takes a lot of knowledge and seeing a lot of squat patterns to make that statement because, you know, some – you know, slapdick guy can make that same statement and be laughed at if you've only been training people at LA Fitness for six months. But if you're if you're teaching an Olympic weightlifting course and you probably an expert in your field, right? You've you have seen gold it so under your belt. many times that if you say something with the simplicity of that, the power behind those words just really mean a lot. Yeah, I thought that was uh, yeah, somewhat profound in terms of I guess it could be that simple. I like to know a little bit more information than that, but I think right. just a lot of people have given me the feedback that, well, I mean, as soon as you make someone's squat stance a little bit wider or toe out if they need it, and they can gain four inches of depth without any sort of spinal flexion or additional spinal flexion that maybe they were getting narrower, you just gave them such a better lifting position. Yeah, but from a performance uh, enhancement standpoint and injury prevention. Right, and they didn't have to do stretching. They just needed to put themselves in the position that's... <laughs> For them, right? Well, when yeah. it, when it comes to your assessments, your evaluations, how much of that are you doing in your workshops? Because I mean, you get you get a good number of people in every single workshop that you're doing. Like, do you individually go through with people what their optimal patterns are, or are you teaching more of the system how they can uh, use it on their clientele? Well, so I get a well, I get a variation of uh, audience. I get, I actually. Um, when I was in Vancouver, uh, BC recently, I think we had like four or five physical therapists there. Wow. Um, and I'll get a number of chiropractors as well, but so I'll certainly get some, uh, clinical minds there. And, uh, in addition, there'll be a lot of trainers and sometimes there's athletes who just, they just want to learn about themselves. They want to, you know, they really just enjoy the material and that's, and that type of thing. Um, I look at when I do these assessments in the workshop, I look at squatting, deadlifting, and overhead lifting. Mm. Because to me, those are some of the most demanding positions in sort of the uh, the CrossFit world and, and the ones that people struggle with. And when I do the squatting specifically, I try to, t- I try to show on 10 people, depending on how much time we have, I try to show on 10 different people how I would assess their hip joints. 
and then how I would translate that into their squatting. Because even in a room of 20 people, you can have quite a bit of variation. And so I try to show that, that, you know, you can't look at somebody and know how their hip is going to move. Right. Because that it's hidden under the skin. You could look at someone and see how long their femurs are and how long their arms are. But until you start moving the joint around and assessing it, you just don't know. So I do, I do show a lot of that. Um, I don't take everybody through an assessment. We sort of I show it and then we kind of work in small groups as we go through it. But uh, I assess the big, those big lifts and then we break out the big lifts into components if necessary. But I start with the big lifts. So I do like a qualifying test. Can someone qualify to do a deadlift well? And if they can't, let's figure out why. But if they can, go lift, you know, have fun. Now with, uh, so, you know, I like those three movements that you focus on because, you know, from a mobility, stability and motor control standpoint, that really knocks out like 80 or 90% of uh, movement right. requisites. Yeah, especially for that population, what they're doing. Now, if someone was going to play baseball, you'd be doing different things. Right? That's absolutely correct. I mean, do you see a variance in the way that you would train or treat uh, a high performance athlete in like a field sport as opposed to a general fitness population consumer? Well, I think that uh, when you do fitness, you're, the, the lifts are more symmetrical in terms of if you attach both arms to a pull-up bar, they're fixed. So they need to work well together. If you attach both arms to a barbell, they need to work together well. If you're doing, you know, I was just on, I was just uh, had Mike Reinold on my podcast and he was saying sometimes for baseball, he may try to make somebody's asymmetry worse. Because it, it helps them perform better in their yeah. sport. Yeah. So I think when that's the case, you always have to ask the question, you know, is, and I think the FMS people talk about this a lot too, is if you make somebody's asymmetry better, does that help, their, help them in their sport or does that hurt them in their sport? Because most field-based sports are asymmetrical. Like I only shoot a basketball with, well, with primarily my right hand. If you're throwing, you're going to use your throwing arm differently than your non-throwing arm. So... Um, I think you have to take that into consideration. I think it's funny because everyone's, uh, you know, the big secret in high performance athletics is not necessarily to be making everyone symmetrical uh, when you're looking at the FMS. We're not looking at only symmetry, especially if you're, uh, you know, a highly involved unilateral sport, uh, anything overhead you're not necessarily uh, working into a worse asymmetry or a more affected asymmetry. You're just trying to manage that so they can have the performance metrics that they need while trying to keep them on the field and healthy. Because, you know, I, I've worked with a number, a number of Olympic uh, and professional athletes still doing that up in Madison, but it's always the question of this guy is making a million plus dollars a year doing what he's doing. Do I change him because I think it's going to be the most effective way to keep him on the field or do I just let it slide because he's performing at a high level? And that's what makes uh, coaching so hard and uh, being a practitioner so hard at those top levels because you're working with uh, physical freaks of nature and yeah. <laughs> you need to keep the freakish you know, physical capacities there so they can go make money and perform but you know nobody's going to perform well if they're hurt all the time so it's always that double-edged sword that you have to evaluate <laughs> and you have to look right. at oh, man. and i think and i think you perhaps operate at a certain level of uncertainty with it oh yeah you know and it, it's not always a clear answer and that, that kind of makes it challenging sometimes is we like hard firm lines in the sand yep and it's not that way unfortunately yeah. uh, and and there's just there's no 
like for this specific person, there's no study to tell you what to do with a specific person. And that's kind of what we've talked about that <laughs> you have to just read and consume information and work with people to really be able to apply things to individuals and, and, and have the open mind that working with humans, they're individual people and they, they sleep, they have different sleep, they have different diet, they have different, all these things that you have to take into consideration. So maybe that high level person, it's not even about, maybe it's just their, they have to optimize their recovery to stay healthy. And that may be the most important thing. There's so many variables that you have to account for when it comes to human performance. And, uh, you know, you and I are both movement specialists. So we place a high emphasis on movement, but there's so much more. Uh, Maybe and- movement's the least important thing for that person. I mean, <laughs> yeah. can we say that? I think we can say that. Yeah. Sometimes it is. Sometimes. And it's important to just continue an education, even if, you know, Dr. Ryan DeBell is teaching all over the country you know, I guarantee that you're doing study, you're going out to workshops yourself and you're continuing your education because everyone can always get better. And that's why it takes an entire career to really make it to the top of the field and really to just get your tentacles out there on the entire industry. I get I get humbled every time I do a podcast because <clears throat> when I talk to someone who's an expert in their specific topic, it makes me realize <laughs> how much I don't know. Well, they say about like a doctorate level education, you are literally digging a mile deep and an inch wide. And then if you go over one or two more inches, you're like, holy shit, you know, I just have to start digging all over again. And it's unbelievable. But that's why, you know, it's important to have specialists that you have go to's in the industry, somebody that you could really count on their expert opinion in and utilize your network because we all can't be masters of everything. Oh, absolutely not. And I think even within the movement field, you have these subspecialties. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not even talking about like, okay, I feel kind of okay talking about nutrition, but my depth isn't anywhere near someone who only does nutrition. If I think about like with, again, Mike Reinold in the shoulder, his depth of knowledge <laughs> and experience with the shoulder makes me feel like a baby. Yeah. And so that's where I'm going to go. I mean, so I read... I read his book like 30 minutes a day until I'm going to go cover to cover with it because why not learn from a world-class person in that, in their specific area of expertise? It's always knowledge gaining (laughs) every single year that you're in the game. And when you stop learning, then you might as well just pack it in because if you think what you know is good enough, you know, it might be good enough for some people, but you're always going to have those outliers that get away from you in terms of results, injury prevention or whatever their goals are. Right. And I'm sure that you and I are similar in the way that you want to be the best at what you do. Oh, and it's a and best it's podcast, a, best office in Madison, uh, <laughs> you know, best FHT program, everything. That's that's our goal, man. Well, I think when you want to be the best, you have to always kind of feel like you're not good enough. Always looking over your shoulder. You should always feel like somebody's right behind you, because that push you forward. You know, like you want to stay on offense rather than be on defense. And in right? our industry, like what you said, there's always somebody right on your ass like they're on your tail so if you let up like literally somebody will come and take your clients take your knowledge and do what you did and do it better than you if you stop it so you know that's something i don't know about you but that's something that uh it drives me every single day because i know there are some world-class minds out there uh the kids are smarter and smarter coming out of dpt school oh gosh it's amazing what 
even three over the course of the last three years, I see what people are doing in school, like in these uh, cl- in these groups and clubs. Yeah, <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> it's 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 insane. It is absolutely insane what people are getting coming out of the program and where they're starting. And I'm sure people who grad who've been doing this for ten years before us say the same thing. Like, yeah. man, ten years ago we didn't get any of the stuff that you guys got. And but it's good for the consumer. You know, I was it's just really good for the yeah, consumer that this happens. It is. I was just on uh, Perry Nicholson's podcast, and he asked me if the fitness and wellness community was better off than it was ten years uh, before. I was like, fuck yes, it is. Like, oh oh my God, we've been moving in the right direction. But the polarizing things on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, they aren't necessarily positive. So we don't get, um, you know, the general public thinking that everything is moving forward in our field. But, you know, then the naysayers will say, well, the injury rates are as high as they've ever been in amateur and professional sport. And then what do you say to that? So I think the knowledge is getting there, but making it applicable to what people are doing in office in the gym, I think that's where we need to start really just synergizing the two things together. Yeah, and I can't speak so much for the DPT side of things, but I know in the chiropractic side, there is such a movement occurring in the model of treatment. I like how you said that, a movement. (laughs) No (laughs) No pun intended. There is such a change in the model of treatment. Like... So many people are re, are becoming – they're incorporating quote-unquote chiropractic, right, which people think of as adjustments with exercise training, with movement training, with yep. soft tissue treatment versus the previous model, which was just manipulate joints. Now, that's probably going to make some people angry, but I, I, I just – it's an observation. I think that's what's happening. And, of course, I'm biased because I – like yesterday, I'm I'm just, I'm sitting at my you know working with athletes. I'm like I'm not, I mean I'm primarily just having people lift weights. <laughs> like <laughs> it's kind of what we all did today. Yeah. But that's it's happening so much more. So I think and I think that is better for the consumer. You know whether or not it's seen on Instagram or Facebook or wherever. Uh, it's certainly it's certainly happening, and I, and more and more people coming out of of school I think are starting at that point where they realize that. You know. For someone who's in pain, it's not just about getting out of pain. It's really a lifelong process, just like sort of lifelong process of learning. It's a lifelong process of being healthy, right. of being strong, of using your body in you know good ways and taking care of it. It's so much more than just a passive treatment. And I'm sure that's changed in physical therapy as people are moving away from passive to more active treatments. You know, I hate to even say like physical therapist or chiropractor anymore because when it comes to gold standard care, I don't care what kind of uh, credential that you have hanging off the end of your name. Most likely, you're doing very similar things no matter if you have a DPT, a DC, an ATC, whatever you want to have behind that name. You're going to be doing the same techniques, evaluations. It's gotten to the point where we have rehab professionals. And at the highest degree of that, everyone's kind of doing the same shit. Well, I think we're all learning from the same people and we're all, yes. it's, a, it's a pretty small world. And yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of criticism that I've seen lately um, of people doing rehab that isn't enough of a, of a stimulus. So mm-hmm. I even see it moving more in that way where now we're going to start incorporating more like hypertrophy training. Right. I mean, how many people in pain, they need to just, they need to build muscle. 
Oh, that's that's true. And right. And I think so. I think we're going to start even incorporating more and more from the strength training community as well. I'd love to see more of that. Would you agree? I would agree. I would agree because when I go out, like when we uh, when we do our workshops, uh, like we always have the tagline of like bridging the gap between sports performance and physical therapy, which is kind of a crock of shit. Like, let's be honest. But (laughs) what people misconstrue that statement as is every strength coach and personal trainer has to be more like a physical therapist. Well, that's what I thought like four years ago. But the last year or two, I think that we need to be meeting somewhere in the middle because there are a lot of physical therapists and rehab professionals that could learn a shit ton of applicable information from their counterparts on the strength and conditioning side of things. So it's about meeting in the middle. It's not necessarily about personal trainers doing rehab. And, uh, you know, that's a big misconception. And we started to talk more and more about that in my workshops. And people are digging that too, because it makes the personal trainer and the, you know, the CSCS really just have um, some pride in what they're doing because they're now able to, you know, educate somebody with maybe a, nth level degree so to say i'm curious on uh on your thoughts on at what point do you phase one out and phase the other in and how do they work together in in your mind so perry asked me this exact same question on his (laughs) podcast Uh you guys must think alike should i maybe i should save it for uh the next hour yeah maybe but you know quickly um it is one in the same when people come to see us up here in madison or if i take a client online it is one in the same. Everyone's going to be getting the same evaluation, assessment, uh, prehabilitation, dynamic warm-up sequences, and then some sort of training stimulus. So um, it's just uh, more emphasis is placed on different aspects of our programming. So obviously, if you're in pain and you are in need of manual therapy techniques, that's going to be something that we place an emphasis on. If you're not in pain, you know, obviously that manual therapy uh, goes kind of the wayside, but it's still part of the program. So everyone gets some of everything, but just to a different level, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So you're tailoring it depending on what their needs are. Oh, yes. Individual needs. That's very important. Very, very, <laughs> very important. Very important. All right. We're coming up on an hour here now. So we're going to shift gears. We're going to head over to the Movement Fix podcast. But before I let you go, I want to just make sure that everyone can get over to your website, your social media and all that. So drop those lines if you can. Sure. So everything is The Movement Fix. So themovementfix.com is the website. And I do uh, podcasts uh, once a week on Wednesdays, and I do new video content every Monday. And uh, on Instagram, I'm at the Movement Fix. Twitter is at the Movement Fix. And uh, what else is there? Snapchat, Ryan DeBell. <laughs> uh, you got to plug that one. And face- Facebook is also the Movement Fix. So uh, people can follow there would be best. And I don't know if you have this uh, offhand, but uh-huh. you are going to be doing a number of dates across the country uh, yes. in 2016 here. So we have listeners listening in from multiple different countries, but a lot in the U.S. and Canada. So can you run through some of those cities that you're going to be hitting up? Oh, yeah. Let me let me give me two seconds. I'll pull this up. 
It's important because I, I want to get out to one of these. It's been on my bucket list for like a year and a half now to get out to a movement fix uh, workshop. And it's something that I'm going to make happen in 2016. I said it on the yeah, record here. There you go. Oh, putting it on the record. It's recorded. So uh, in it depends on when we post this podcast. Um, Tampa, Florida, Fort Myers, Florida, Portland, Oregon, Chicago, St. Louis, Wake Forest, Charlotte, North Carolina, Canfield, Ohio, Minneapolis, Miami, Houston, San Jose, West Virginia, Rochester, New York, Santa Cruz, locally in Seattle, Albany, New York, Richmond, Virginia, Maryland, Phoenix, and Connecticut. Those are what's on the schedule so far. Man, I hope you have a neck pillow. That's I might send you one. <laughs> oh, man, you know what's funny when I I like I've had so many like calf strains when running because I'll be like sitting on a plane and then I'll go run. I'm like, what are you doing, Ryan? What are you doing? You're running like the professional athlete schedule here, you know, traveling as much as they do. I'm impressed. It's 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 tough because you you sacrifice a lot of things like your training, you know. Well, there's going to be no sacrificing in the next uh, 12 weeks here on FHT. No, you, you, so. you better not. Yeah, you better believe there's nothing. <laughs> I'm going hard on that five days a week. Yeah, we're, we're looking written. for the Zac Efron physique after these 12 weeks. So, this, this is, well, let's clarify the Zac Efron Baywatch <laughs> physique, not neighbors. <laughs> well, I mean, even that physique was pretty. But the, I don't know what he's been doing. My wife shows me these pictures. What do you want me to say? <laughs> <laughs> We're going to leave it at that, man, and we'll see you guys Great way to end it. next time. I'm Dr. John Russin with the Strength Doc Podcast hosted by UpDoc Media. See you later, guys.